Okay, welcome to today's interview. This is something very special. I'm introducing to you Dr. Ryan Lee, and this is going to be a great conversation. Ryan has a doctorate in clinical psychology. He's been a therapist for over 10 years, and especially over the past two years, he's been specializing in helping people exiting and recovering from high control groups, especially Jehovah's Witnesses. So Ryan, thanks so much for joining me. And yeah, would you like to introduce yourself and explain a bit of your background and your journey in relation to this, this topic? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. I really appreciate it. I, uh, I re- heard listening to other shows. I really like those as well. And I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, uh, I think my background probably first worth mentioning is I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Um, I was born in and uh, left when I was 18. And that uh, was a significant part of my trajectory in life. Um, I can get into more detail as if you're interested, but the, the rough outline is that um, I left when I was 18 as uh, a process of a, a lot of different things. Um, there was, uh, I, I think the short, short version is there was some turmoil in my, my family. I had a step family and uh, there was some abuse happening. And uh, the elders at the time, despite this abuse happening on multiple occasions, refused to allow my mother to get a divorce uh, from my stepfather because they deemed it not scriptural. Um, that was, I think, a big crack in my armor where I felt like they were always there to protect, to keep us safe. And in the time when I really needed them to keep my family safe, they weren't. Um, so that really started me questioning things. Um, and I think uh, another big component of that is around that time, I started making friends with people who were not Jehovah's Witnesses for the first time in my life. I was uh, my later years in high school and discovered that uh, these people that I was connecting with were really good people and not controlled by the devil, as I'd been told. Um, Moving forward, I I had uh, an exciting, you know, five to 10 years after that, but but rough, trying to find my way in the world, trying to catch up with uh, what it was like to be a normal person, Um, uh, figuring out how to socialize normally and and how to... um, start a life now that it seemed like the world was not going to end any second. Um, and, but I struggled uh, quite a bit for, for a while, I would say for about 10 years, um, and had a lot of issues with depression and anxiety, finally ended up seeking out therapy, uh, myself, um, got a lot from that really uh, did wonders, helped me in a lot of ways. But one of the ways that felt lacking was I was never really able to find somebody that, uh, truly understood what it was like to be a Jehovah's Witness. Um, They would do their best to make space, but a lot of times I'd get blank stares or just this kind of sense that people thought of Jehovah's Witnesses as just like any other religion, and it's really not. Um, There are some things that are very particular to that religion that influence a person's development and their ability to thrive in the world. And so I always longed to have a therapist that really understood that piece of it. Um, and so, uh, after doing some work on my own, I, I ended up going, uh, deciding that I'd wanted to be a therapist myself. Uh, I went back to school, got my doctorate and, uh, that pretty much brings us here. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And it's so valuable because there are so many people who leave a situation like that and 
they want to recover and they want to get better, but because the help isn't available or the right help, that help that hits the spot, it's not quite, well, we both experience it. It's just not quite hitting the spot. And so it's very easy to get discouraged and to think, well, maybe I'm broken and I can't be fixed. And so yes. pe- people give up on themselves, which is one of the saddest things. And so before we delve into a couple of things I, I wanted to dive into, something that I, I always try to emphasize this and clarify it in terms of my position and where I'm coming from and the overall intention behind this entire project. And it's that I'm not about like sending torpedoes at the ship or like, uh, you know, a, a attacking the organization and saying, oh, they're all evil and it's all, you know, 100% bad. And, you know, there's plenty of places online for people to do research and make up their own minds. But mm-hmm. my, my intention is more along the lines of like, you know, look, that's not my place to judge. That's not my place to, that's not my service I'm providing. But what I would love to do is provide support and help for people who would otherwise maybe get stuck, who might give up on themselves and stay trapped in a rut of, you know, maybe resentment against the elders or the organization of you know, sadness of feeling unworthy of a relationship with God and or, you know, just trapped in an emotional and mental prison that stops mm-hmm. them from moving forward in life. And I think that's the. You know, rather than throwing stones at, <laughs> at the organization, that's my intention to uh, to help people move you know, forward and upward and to overcome things that would keep them in from anyone's, whether you're spiritual or atheist, from anyone's perspective, a, a state of limitation, which is those emotions like fear and resentment. So with, that as, with that as the uh, kind of pre, pre-frame, something that will be really interesting is if you're able to discuss about how the Jehovah's Witnesses are different to other religions. There are some of the obvious ways that you, we, well, we grew up being told, here's how we're different in a good way that's special. But there are some other pe- peculiarities and the word cult gets thrown around left and right. And it's kind of a, an obscure term. People say cult, you think of Marilyn Manson, not Marilyn. No, that's the musician, isn't it? Charles Manson. <laughs> right. Oh, boy. <laughs> but yeah. you, you know, I mean, so those are the preconceptions. So can we like demystify that a bit in terms of, well, what's different? Like what is a cult? Does it fit the definition? Does it not? And yeah, what's your stance around that? Yeah. Um, so a lot of good points. If you don't mind, I'm going to just, uh, actually speak to a couple of things you started with and get to that question. I may need you to repeat it in a second. Go ahead. Um, but I just wanted to say too, I just want, I'm, I'm totally aligned with you as far as, uh, I don't see any value in demonizing Jehovah's witnesses. Um, mm. I think that first and foremost, my experience, well, there are some things, uh, some issues that are um, systemic with Jehovah's Witnesses, particularly regarding child abuse and the way they cover it up. And, and that's, that's uh, definitely something to be looked at. Uh, in my experience, uh, for the most part, they're all people that mean very well. Um, they, their intentions are good. Um, and and I don't think it's, it's, it's worth, some people do get caught up in, in, in lifetime of bitterness and anger. Um, that said, I, I will also say that part of my work um, 
is making space for some anger. Um, you know, I, I think that's not definitely not the end goal or the place we want to stay. But uh, a lot of people, when they leave the organization, they, they struggle because they legitimately have a lot of anger. Um, they feel like they've lost a lot of life. And again, I'll, I'll go into your question in a second about some of the ways in which they, they feel like they've been wronged. And yet they are stuck with that feeling of who to blame, who, who there is no target to be angry at. When they really look at the people, they see, yeah, those people mean well, even though they may be misguided, or at least in my opinion, misguided. Um, so I do think it's important that when people start working, especially at the beginning, that they do allow and make space for that feeling of anger rather than trying to repress it or saying, I'm not going to be angry. That's another piece that Jehovah's Witnesses have uh, a way of repressing certain natural human feelings um, that they deem unacceptable, uh, you know. A a anger is, is one of them, you know, that's, that's not an appropriate emotion to have. It's not an appropriate way to deal with things. And yet it absolutely is. It, it's, it's a natural, normal thing. Now, again, you don't want to get stuck there. You don't want to create your whole identity there, making it all about being angry, but there's value. And I think it's worth saying um, for people listening that, that there is, there's value in making space and saying, it's okay. It's okay for you to, to feel upset about some of the things that happen. Um, to, to your question about what are the things that, that separate uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, I, I have a list here. There's there's lots of different different definitions of cult. Um, some people don't like using that word, and I respect that. That's usually one of the first things I check in about when I meet with somebody is whether they uh, they like that word or not. For some people, it could be very empowering. It's a way of calling it what it is, and that allows them in relation to figure out what they need to do to deprogram themselves and separate. Other people um, don't have as strong feelings about it. They feel that word cult is a little prickly. Mm -hmm. um, high control religion is, is another one that, that more people find a little bit more palatable. Um, and really high control, that, that's, that, that captures a lot of it. Um, now, just off the top of my head, I, I think, you know, when people talk about like, oh, Jehovah's Witness is just another religion. Well, most common religions don't prevent you from being friends with people who are not in your religion uh, or even marrying somebody who is not in your religion. Now, of course, there's some that do, but, but by and large, that's not a forbidden thing. Um, most religions don't restrict or limit your ability to pursue whatever career you want to pursue in life in whatever way you would like to do that. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses are very strong on discouraging any sort of uh, formal education past high school. Um, I've heard in some ways they've become a little bit more flexible, allowing witnesses to go to community college um, or that sort of thing just for the, the, the purpose of getting a basic income. But pursuing anything that you know, it requires much more than that is essentially discouraged, frowned upon, um, and there are social repercussions for, for pursuing those types of things. Uh, their inability to celebrate holidays um, seems like a little thing, but it, it's kind of a big thing. That's, that's one of those holidays or something that brings most people together, particularly families. I know personally, that's when I see my family is on the holidays, out my extended family. So if you don't celebrate those holidays, again, it, it, it limits and restricts your ability to be part of these groups. Um, and this is, there's more to be said, but 
this is a, a general theme is just there's control. There's controlling over um, your ability to think critically or independently. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses are very controlling about the information you consume in all ways. So, for example, you're not allowed to attend another church. Um, you're not allowed to seek out and learn about other religions on your own. They give you literature or books which tell you how to think about these other religions and essentially tell you why they're wrong and why Jehovah's Witnesses are right. And those are the approved um, pieces of information. Yeah. Um, and uh, in line with this, you know, is, is isolating members. It's not all about controlling the, the information, the way people think, but isolating them from the rest of the world, not only through their rules, which, as I mentioned, keep them from associating. Um, but uh, there's restrictions on what type of entertainment you can consume and um, even just the amount of time that they demand of you. Uh, most religions, people go on Sunday to church or something like that. There's maybe they do a daily prayer or something like that. And they go for a gathering and for a sermon once a week. Jehovah's Witnesses do three meetings a week, which are roughly a couple hours each. Uh, then on the, on the weekends, they do anywhere from, you know, four to eight hours of door to door um, preaching. Um, then on top of that, there's personal Bible study. There's family Bible study. You have to read the literature. You have to prepare uh, reading the magazine, preparing answers for the meetings that you're supposed to be attending. Um, it just consumes a lot of your time um, in a way that really ultimately keeps you isolated. And then they, um, they double down on this by using phrases like telling you you're no part of the world, um, that you're doing well in life the more different you are from everybody around you. Um, anyways, I could go on, but yeah. I, I, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah it does. And the, the common theme is around the isolation and it's clever how the control aspect is applied because there are a few things there's you know serious sin where it's like definite there's a hard line under it so the definition of serious sin, the 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 big ones the stuff like you know fornication and smoking which is apparently as bad as other things yeah (laughs) it's it's, right it's not entirely but anyway (laughs) that's another rabbit hole yeah the, so yeah. that the, there is the hard limit there, but then there's a lot of um, wiggle room almost where it's like, well, look, you can do that. You can go to college if you want. You can get a degree in a career. You can marry a, a colleague if you like. Like you know, we can't stop you, and we're not going to kick you out mm-hmm. for it. And so there's the hard line isn't there, which which is a good cop out. It's, it's a good way to say, well, we're not stopping you. But the social repercussions where it's like, well, that person's spiritually weak. Uh, We have to kind of create distance. They might be marked. They might be, you know, kind of keep keep away from them because they're weak, right? And someone who's weak shouldn't be associated with and and not helped or anything. So there's the the social repercussions of the the ostracism mindset. And like we say, it comes from a very good place. It's from people who genuinely tend to have good intentions, they're God-fearing people, want to do right by God. And so this, the desire to do the right thing gets, um, what's the word? It's like, like hijacked. Prioritized. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and the so, so the the standards where it becomes controlling, and even though it's not quite rational, it's not able to be challenged. And if you mm-hmm. do challenge it in terms of thought, like that's where it gets difficult. I put a survey out for this project and had get this. I I expected ten replies. I, I made a project thing of it in Asana and I was like, you know what, if I can, I'm curious about this. If I can get just 10 replies, I'll be able to see a pattern and might be able to see what people are struggling with, what they need help with. And in 48 hours, I got over 200 replies. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow. that's, that's pretty, <laughs> that, that was pretty overwhelming. I thought that's a, a lot of reading and each reply was around, it tells you the time that people spent. So each time was around 30 minutes or so. So a lot of time commitment of people sharing this stuff. And a really common theme was this idea of when, when I was in the religion and outside of it, my instinct is to lie about who I am because people couldn't possibly accept and love me for who I am. So in the religion, it's like, well, if I'm thinking something wrong or I'm questioning something or feeling something that I shouldn't be feeling, like you say, I can't let that show. I'll put on the new personality and act in the right way and behave in the right ways. But behind closed doors, what I'm really thinking, feeling and doing, there may be a a separation there. And so even after people leave, there's there's quite a dissociated state where the default set setting is to go well people can't possibly understand know love or care about me for who I am and there's that expectation that I can be cut off and have their hands washed clean of me any second and that yeah that can have a real impact on people I wonder what I don't want to talk too much because I know you've got interesting things to say, say about it so on that piece. Don't don't censor yourself, John. I'm, I'm I'm taking notes. There's honestly everything you just said, I have something to say about. These are all great points. Um, I'll start with the the most recent. Um, this idea that um, the, the the censoring of yourself. This is one of the most common things that I have to work. I shouldn't say have to work. I love to work with people, but that that people need to work through. And when we start, is um, as you described it, there, especially people who are born as Jehovah's Witnesses, and they're a distinct group. There's something about being born in where you, at your root of life, they get these ideas. And these ideas are, this is not about what you think, what you feel, or what you want. Um, this is all, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually tie this in with something you said earlier. Um, you said... Uh, you, you, you said that this idea of some of their ideas are not rational. And really, they are rational if you, if you look at it from the perspective of thinking, if I really believed 100% that the world was going to end at any moment, um, that it was going to be destroyed, and that the only possibility of being saved is to live a certain way, and then you will give life uh, on, forever in paradise on earth, and your only job right now is to focus on saving yourself and other people. It's very rational. I mean, if you right. start with that premise, it is very rational. Of course, you, yeah, don't, don't waste any time. If you think this world is, is going to be destroyed any second, don't waste any time. Um, but again, so to, to your point, 
that is that basis, that premise is used to rationalize everything else. And that's getting back to your, your latter question um, is that means that we need to control everything we do all of the time. And so if you're born in as a, as a child uh, to Jehovah's Witnesses, or really it, it doesn't have to be that way, but that's, again, it's the strong way. Um, <clears throat> when you're born in, you're, you're just, your instinct is always to go, what am I saying? Uh, what am I thinking? What am I looking at? What am I consuming? How am I acting? Who am I associating with? And you, you're taught that that's a virtue, <laughs> but really what that does is like you said, dissociating yourself from the start, from the get-go. So when people leave, they struggle with this a lot. And, and, and again, the, the, you, you touch on this as well, that it's not only those, those, those motivations, but there is that negative uh, motivation of, if you don't do these things, you lose your family, you lose your whole community, you're ostracized. If you, um, like you, you, another thing you mentioned was kind of this illusion of choice that they give you. They say, well, we can't stop you. Of course, if you want to go to college, you can. But there's all these different ways which they subtly still enforce that. Um, there's one thing that they, they remember they used to always quote the scripture. Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's this idea of do not stumble your brother. Right. Um, and that essentially, what that means is don't do something, don't behave in a way that somebody else may see and think negatively about, and that may disrupt their own faith. They may see you go see a rated R movie that has sex and violence, and they may have thought you were an upstanding brother before that. But now, oh, he watches rated R movies, that shakes my faith. So now you're not only responsible for yourself, but you're responsible for the faith of somebody else. And so, again, it, it, there's, there's little ways, there's little ways to keep control. Or they'd say, um, I remember when I was younger, I used to like uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff, now Will Smith. I mean, I'm not DJ Jazzy Jeff, uh, The Fresh Prince. I don't know right, if I'm yeah. familiar. It's, sure, yeah. I'm dating myself. But it's like super clean rap. <laughs> you know, it's like, but I remember there was an article they put out where they said, Rap music often contains misogyny and violence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, maybe not all uh, rap music contains violence and misogyny, but considering the reputation it has, would a good Christian want to listen to this type of music? How would your conscience feel about listening to this type of music? And from that point on, I was not allowed to listen to what was essentially very wholesome rap. Yeah. Um, anyways, it's just, it's just <laughs> more examples of, how they keep you in line. Um, and yeah, when people leave, just to wrap up, you know, when people leave, there's this, there's this struggle of, they don't have these constraints on them anymore, but they have these internal constraints. They don't have the threat. You can listen to different music from your friend and your friend is not gonna abandon you or shun you or cut you out of their lives forever. You can have a different opinion you can express something. You can say something stupid. You could say something ignorant. And most of the time, if they're even a halfway decent friend, it's not going to put things in jeopardy, but people still carry that feeling inside them that right. everything is at stake all of the time. So yeah, that's just to, to you know. I remember when I was studying as an adult with a, a, an elder who I have a lot of affection for him. He's a great guy. We got to that point where it was that scripture about, well, you know, we don't do things that will stumble someone else. And it was something really minor that we were talking about. Like, 
like music it was it was something like music and mm-hmm. or, or sisters dying their hair it was it was something like that yeah. and I was like mate not being funny if someone's faith if someone's relationship with God is so weak that a woman having colored hair can stumble them then I think they have bigger problems than colorful hair on a woman like that's and, and he like he laughed and there's no getting away from it. It's like, right. well, I, I see your point, but that's not really the attitude we're going for. I was like, I, I see where you could be, but we see where we're both coming from, right? He's like, yes, yes, we do. Because it's yeah, comical at times. But so, circling back to that it's, idea, sorry, go ahead. No, I just want to say it's, it, it's beautiful that you had a connection with somebody who is able to laugh with you and at least acknowledge, yeah, you have a point there. And, and in many scenarios, that's not how that conversation goes. Your yeah. questioning is seen as a challenge to the faith and that you're, you may have problems with your faith or there's something, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's understandable why you probably feel affection to this, yeah. this, this problem. A, a lot. And I, I was quite, because he was the chairman of my judicial committee when I, the, the most recent time when I got uh, kicked out. And I, I was quite, on the day, I was very nice. In fact, I, I thanked them all for, and apologized for putting them in that position where they had to kick me out and that. So I was, I was quite a good boy in that sense. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the, in the aftermath, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of horrible to, to him because I, and this is something probably a few people go through was where I was trying to get back and they, and it kept being turned down arbitrarily for just like, well, it's not been long enough. I'm like, well, it's been, you know, 18 months or so. I've kept my nose clean. And and the questions like on the judicial committees when I say, well, do, so do you believe God's forgiven me? And they say, well, yeah. I'm like, so you're God's organization and you're not you're not allowed to be as forgiving as him. And, and questions like that, and it got response, in that scenario, it was very much, you're asking dangerous questions. Be careful. Yeah, watch right. yourself. Literally in those words, <laughs> it wasn't subtext. Yeah. It's like, watch yeah. what you say, because you're asking dangerous questions. And yeah. that's um, that's one of the things that was a trigger for me to say, well, why is it dangerous to ask pertinent questions? And the George Orwell quote about, you know, truth is treason in an empire built of lies. And yeah. so that's that got, got me really curious. So people often have this inherent uh, like di- distrust almost. It goes one of two ways. There's either a total distrust and rebellion against authority figures, or it goes the other way, according to the, the research I did, where there's an automated um, submissiveness to people in perceived authority, where if someone comes in and starts to be you know be influential around them there's this ultimate automated subordination that people often struggle with and uh the like a lot of uh, ladies who leave the religion end up in narcissistic relationships for instance or high control relationships and so it's yeah. in terms of building that sense of self <clears throat> which is something that you alluded to uh, previously like people often they, they leave and they without those constraints they don't have much of a sense of self and they don't have a sense yeah. of their own uh standards so either they'll revert to revert to type and still live like a jw or they'll go completely 
like bouncing off the off the rails and uh, mm-hmm. and have no moral compass and have to find their own and or end up putting themselves in dangerous situations and whatnot. And so, in terms yeah. of stabilizing as a human being who can function healthily, obviously you have a lot of experience helping people make that transition. So, I'm wondering what you can say about that. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, again, that's you're, you're hitting right on one of the major areas I work with people on. Um, and and you're right. And 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 essentially, I think part of that that that. I don't want to phrase this. You you mentioned two different ways uh, of dealing with the essentially the question of what do I do with my life right now? How do I how do I proceed? This all encompassing organization religion turned out to be not correct. I based all of my decisions on every aspect of their literature and the Bible and their perspective of the Bible and everything. And now I don't have a framework to proceed. And, and you're right. And, and, and it goes in two different ways is there's people, people sometimes will come and they feel very tossed around by life because they'll use words like, I feel gullible. I feel naive. I feel like a child lost in the woods where <laughs> they're just sort of swept away by any sort of strong opinion or strong sense. And then there's this other piece where, like you said, they just distrust everything. I tended to go towards the latter and that comes with its own problem. Um, I, I found, uh, I mean, I'll be honest and still in some ways, this is still an area I I'm growing in, which is trusting groups. Um, you know, in engaging in something as soon as like anything has any air of spirituality and it's in a group, there's little, um, warning sensors that go off for me, which aren't necessarily always valid, you know, but it's, it's this kind of, um, it's like a trauma response really. Um, but, but, but uh, the, the converse side of, you know, when people are sort of following a lot and, and don't have a sense of self again, that's, that's part of the indoctrination. The indoctrination is heavy on this idea in lots of ways that you can't trust yourself. You can't trust yourself and you can't trust the world. The idea that there are dangerous questions and thoughts, that's saying your own mind is dangerous. Your own critical thinking ability is a danger. Look out. If you start thinking for yourself, look out. You know, that's, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that in itself is a dangerous idea. It, it, incapacita- it incapacitates a person. Um, and so that's a big piece. And, and I would say that's actually more common than the people that I work with is, is learning how to um, how to figure out how to trust themselves. And it, and it takes work and time and, and, and it takes courage because part of it is a little bit of trial and error. Um, ultimately, I mean, if I was going to oversimplify it, it requires you to go out into the world, try trusting some people, see how it goes. <laughs> and mm-hmm. when in some cases it doesn't go well, okay, breathe through the pain you experience see what you can learn, see what you can apply moving forward. And, and, and this is also part of honing your sense of intuition. Um, this is another thing that needs to be untangled. You know, um, Generally speaking, when someone has a relatively good upbringing and, and aren't, isn't raised in a high control religion, they have a much better sense uh, in their ability to tune into their own intuition about what is right and wrong for them. Um, when you're a former Jehovah's Witness, um, 
There's a lot of stuff and fears and anxiety in there that isn't yours. It's stuff that's, that's put into you. Um, so one, I don't know if this is, a, this is applicable, but one analogy I use, a rough analogy is, is it's almost like you're, when you're a kid, um, you walk to school every day and you pass the street and on the end of the street, there's a person going, don't go down this street. This street is filled with monsters and demons and they will eat you and destroy you if you walk down the street. And every single day as a little kid, you walk past that street, you walk past that same person and every single day. And when they talk to you and tell you about the monsters down the street, you imagine the monsters down the street. You think about it to the point that even some days that guy may not even be on the corner. But if you walk past that street, you get goosebumps, you get chills because of all the thoughts. Then you get to a point where you're an adult and you realize that's a crazy person. <laughs> and that the, you know, he doesn't actually have any real claim to truth. And you intellectually know there's no monsters down that street. I've just been told this, but yet you still feel it. You still feel it when you, when you walk by, you still every single day. And so um, this is all a way of saying, you know, that the path moving forward ultimately is, is, is really, you know, securing yourself and understanding intellectually why that person is incorrect. And then once you've done as much work as you can there, it involves taking a deep breath, working up the courage and walking down that street and, and rewriting your experience because you've imagined a terrible experience. You know, you've made a negative association for all these years. So, um, so in a similar way, that's, that's kind of how it works a lot with people finding their own path, finding their own self is they have to, it's the practice of, okay, I feel scary about going out to a worldly party and associating with, with people or, you know, choosing a career or, or, or pursuing something based only on the desire for money, which isn't necessarily a bad thing in itself. Um, you know, once you decide that the way I feel about it is indoctrination, then you have to take steps to move in that direction. So you have the experience of living those things and recognizing, oh, all the fear and, and anxiety they've had about this doesn't actually play out. And that's how you help rewire your, your, your belief system. Yeah, I love that. And the getting to truth is such a vital part of it, even reclaiming the word of truth, because that's, at least in the UK, I think it's fairly international, they'll refer to it as being in the truth. Yes. And that's a very binary way of way of thinking and the concepts like uh, i i don't really address the what well, is there a god isn't there atheism versus all I, I don't really address that but in terms of believing that well okay let's let's say there's god and that he has a plan and conflating that the organization with god or the the mm -hmm. scripture where the where the apostles say to jesus where else would we go because you have the sayings of everlasting life and that gets mm -hmm applied to say the governing body or to the watchtower magazines so well this this little ream of paper here or this app on my phone being equal to the messiah just seems just religiously it seems not not particularly sound but like you say when it gets wired into a person week after week year after year that emotional right. entanglement happens which stops a person from examining there are two things there's the doctrines which are stated right those so 
all the things that are overtly believed. And then there are these sub beliefs that are like the table legs for those doctrines. So ideas like, right. well, the world the world is worse now than it ever has been in history ever. And there's you know earthquakes and there's you know famines and all this stuff worse now than it ever has been before, and it just keeps plummeting downhill. That's a uh, it's not a doctrine, but it's a belief that underpins the doctrine, which doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Mm-hmm. But examining, going through right. the, the intellectual phase of examining, okay, what am I actually believing? How sound is it? And then at the other side of that examination process, making a conscientious decision. Like that seems to be a big step for, or kind of an important process for many people going through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think what happens, roughly speaking, is, is the way... The way you're drawn in is there are things I think that appeal to what you're deeply desiring and wanting. Um, so, for example, when you're new in, in Jehovah's Witnesses, there's a lot of love bombing. Um, you know, there's a lot of. I remember when my mom. Not I don't remember, but my boy was told when I was. Um, my mom had me when she was 19, and she was in Boston, and she was living on her own, and. Um, and I remember she told me about how she started studying with the witnesses and they would help out with, you know, babysitting me. And I, I think she remembers, I think she told me they would bring over food and casseroles and stuff like that. There's a lot of love and warmth, which is really nice um, and, and very appealing, but there tends to be that sort of shiny face. So it's, you're appealing to something we all have as universal, a universal need for love and acceptance. So you just get that in spades, right? Then you couple that with some basic truths or truth sounding things that are easy to digest. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things that I like, I like to point to is like, um, you know, well, easy one to be is like, look at the state of the world. Um, look at, look at all, look at all that's going wrong. You can, it's easy to sit here. We could, no matter what time period you're born, born into, you can easily point to things that are wrong. Earthquakes, wars, disease, famine. These are all things that have happened and continue, you know, and you could sit there and point and hyper-focus on those aspects of the world. So again, you're sort of going, yes, I see that too. Yes, I feel that too. That's the, you know, again, you're on board. And then there's this, there's this sort of way where these, these little sort of things they point to, you know, would, how, there must be a reason for these things happening, right? There must be a reason. Yes, of course, there must be a reason. Why wouldn't there be a reason, you know? And little by little, they inch you towards this acceptance. The, the basic one I like is they would go, um, look at a flower. Look at all of the ways in, in which it's beautiful, it's, it's not only aesthetically beautiful, but there's photosynthesis and there's all these scientific processes that are making, and, and you're like, yes, that is amazing. That's, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you. And they're like, how, how could that just happen by accident? That must have had a, a, a designer. And, and that's a little more, it's not a definite, but you're like, yeah, that seems like a reasonable assumption. And then, it's, and then they kind of jump quickly to, therefore it's Jehovah God <laughs> that, that did this, you know, and you're kind of, did you know what I'm saying? There's like inch, yeah. little by little, <laughs> they're working you towards this acceptance. Anyways, this is a long way of saying that once those kind of preliminary steps are laid, that, that 
that that layer like you talked about it opens the door for them to just kind of roll with and accept all of the other things that don't necessarily add up but you've already got love you've already got something speaking to the spiritual thirst you have um, you have you a lot of people are drawn to the religion because they're just craving some kind of structure there's a lot of mental health and, and, and trauma issues people come I think a lot to these types of religions because they're feeling deeply troubled and needing some kind of container you know and, and, and this provides a great container so once you have all those things in place it's a lot easier for people to get people to understand or to um, What's the word to accept and take for granted these other things which don't quite add up yeah and it is that metaphor of the i think the society uses it of the glass of water you know like how much how much poison do you need in a glass of what you don't fill a cup full of poison if you want to poison someone that's just uh it's just not economical you know poison's expensive so so you I just love that you, you yep. put enough in and the rest of it is the purest of water. Just ignore that kind of 2% there, that almondy flavory smell. Don't worry about that. But the rest is pure yeah. water. And it's, um, yeah. in fact, really 98% kind of looks like 100% if you think about it. Not yeah. too much. And it's yeah. it's that bait and, bait and switch kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, but from there, like we say, getting to the point where it's like, well, I've kind of been tossed out or I've, ended up in a situation where I'm figuring out my way in life. Turns out that these people, I didn't, when I started doing my examination, it wasn't based on the premise of these people are wrong. But I wanted to look into it from, the intention was, well, rather than starting with the conclusion in mind of this is the truth, these guys are teaching the truth and everything our research has to point in that direction, and anything that points in a different direction is incorrect. Like that's the mm -hmm. that's the end result that we kind of get given. And it's like, right, reverse engineer that outcome. And so you yeah. go off and do your research. And of course you can verify it. Um, yeah, right. But, but then I got curious as to, well, if I started and just examined what's in front of me and examine what's there and, and build an evidence-based conclusion, the conclusion you, you arrive at very different and so then the other side of that analysis process is uh, you mentioned we, we've we touched on the kind of building a sense of self and boundaries and things like that but also you mentioned about how going through that anger phase is important and it's not the end result but allowing yourself to go through it rather than compressing the emotions and allowing them to sit and fester and you know, end up causing more harm to yourself and to potentially other people too. So moving through anger, <clears throat> after the anger phase, um, what's the trajectory that ends a person up in a place of being healthy and grounded and, um, you know, all right within themselves as a human being? So as you help people through that yeah. trajectory, how do you describe it? Yeah, um, great question. There's a lot of lot of different answers to that. Um, I can I can I'll start by talking. I think there's a there's a rough idea of how things often work, um, and this is a common idea used in in, in therapy. If, if there's these layers of usually if if you encounter somebody that's depressed, 
Depression is being cut off from how you really feel. It's feeling helpless. It's feeling trapped. It's feeling stuck. Um, this is often the starting state of people who are on their way to leaving Jehovah's Witnesses. They just feel this emptiness. And that may be related to the cognitive dissonance they're experiencing. Um, but but, it, but, but it's, it's this top layer of this life feels unmanageable. I don't know why. Um, a lot of times it's they do know why on some level, they're afraid to look at why. Um, when they start looking at why and they start getting in touch with how they really feel, that's generally a lot of times where anger comes from. Anger is this kind of awakening. And again, I don't wanna speak for everybody, but people have a lot of this experience of I've been lied to. I've been lied to, I've devoted and sacrificed so much in my life for this thing that is a lie. And there's anger. Now, now that anger is intense and it's hard to feel and it's uncomfortable because you don't know what to do with it and you don't know where to direct it. And, you know, it makes you want to do things that may get you in trouble, you know, in one way or another, socially or otherwise. Um, but that's part of the resistance to it. It's, it's, it's intense. It's intense. But once you can acknowledge it, accept it, allow it, um, doesn't mean you, you act on it or do, you know, everything you, you, that occurs to you. But once you can give it space and honor it as a legitimate reaction, what's underneath that often is hurt. Um, and that's another piece that's, that's, um, that needs to be worked through, gr gr grieving. Um, you, you know, once you get over the anger, once you've expressed the anger, there's just this kind of what, this, this, this sad feeling of why, why, why did this happen to me? Why did I, so much time wasted? Why, why does this religions keep me from talking to my family who I love so much? They, they, they can't speak to me, you know? It's, it's like a death. It's, it's like grieving a death. And that can kind of come in all different shades. Um, so that's, that's sort of one broad way to look at it. Um, along accompanying this, this sort of idea I like the idea of just feeling the feelings. That's, this is another piece. And if you want to talk about the tra trajectory of how it goes, um, some of it is intellectual, some of it's conceptual, some of it's us doing research and some of it's uh, us really seeing it for what it is, for controlling religion and, and really taking, like you, like you do, using critical thought to really examine all the premises and, and can come to your own conclusions. Um, but a lot of it is just feeling the feelings. And again, sometimes that's another way we can get stuck. Sometimes we get so stuck in the intellectual. Yeah. Um, there's people, there's this, there's a version of people that stay angry and they just spend a ton of their time just going on Facebook messaging boards and stuff like that. And just spewing vile for years on end. There's another version where people just spend their time intellectually like reading through old watchtower at awakes and reading and looking for inconsistencies and hypocrisies and bringing that, you know, and that's an endless thing that you can get stuck in, but that's really, you're, you're getting stuck in the cognitive and what's really needing to happen a lot of times is to feel the feelings and what that really means. Going to therapy, connecting with other people who are ex Jehovah's witnesses, um, connecting to people who can give you the space to just talk about this process it feel it ultimately building up in in multiple ways towards crying towards yelling towards you know expressing giving space 
to that. It doesn't mean staying there, but it, but it does mean finding a way to take that energy inside, that emotional energy and, and processing it. And so I'll be totally honest. It, it, you know, um, I believe in what I do, absolutely. To people I work with, I wouldn't do it if, if I didn't see that most people I work with make steady progress. Um, but it's almost like... Um, it's also, it's, a, it's also a long process. It's an ongoing process. And as somebody who's been out myself 20 years, I still have pieces of it that I, that I struggle with at times. Now, what changes is the intensity and the frequency, yeah. um, how much it controls my life or how much it feels overwhelming. That absolutely changes. But it's almost like, like a death. Um, you know, if you lose somebody you love, um, there's never going to be a point in your life when, when you think of them that you're not going to miss them, that you're not going to have feelings about that. Um, but what can change is as you make space for those feelings, as you process them, mm-hmm. uh, you, 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 they become in a more manageable container. You know, the, you, you, you create more space within yourself to contain different feelings, including some sadness. Um, if you get shunned and, and you leave the, the organization, there's so much waiting for you in the world. There's so much waiting for you to live your new life in freedom. But if you have a mother or father who decide never to speak to you again because you don't want to be in a Jehovah's Witness, there's, there's a piece of accepting that's never not going to hurt a little bit. Um, but we can find ways to make space for that and live a full life and, and, and including that sadness. Yeah. That's such a good point. I don't know how clinically accurate this is. Maybe you can set me right. I, I heard the kind of expression or quip that the opposite of depression is expression. And so when you when you compress mm-hmm. things and bury it down and create that dissociative state, I'm quite a cerebral kind of person. So accessing emotions and you know feeling into stuff is a very new thing for me uh, in terms of the past couple of years is really when it started. And it's, mm-hmm. so yeah, there are some things that just can't be talked through or made sense of because it's it's an emotional thing and words are limited when it comes to emotional things. They can only go so mm-hmm. far. So yes. finding a therapist or finding a framework where you're actually safe to be vulnerable. And the beauty of, of working with someone who's also an ex-Jehovah's Witness is that there's not if there's that fear of bringing reproach on God's name, right? Which is another reason why a lot of people don't seek help. So, well, if this is true, and if I give information that could put that therapist off, and then next time someone speaks to them on the ministry, then you know I've I've been a, a suicide bomber for Satan. I've I've held them back. Mm-hmm. You don't have that issue if that's a background fear that's still running by working with someone who's been in the same place and navigated their version of the same journey, it, it takes that off the table because they've asked and sought answers to probably the same questions. So it, it just mm-hmm. is figuring out where we're at now and then how can we heal that and move through the, the mental issues, the emotional issues and come out the other side of it into something hopefully with a bit more structure and, and healthiness to it. Right. 
You, you're referring, I just want to make sure I understand that to the fear that uh, people may come to me and they're, they're holding back because they may stumble me or they may be responsible for me changing my own. Is that what so, you mean? So not you. So not you. That's my point. Okay. In terms okay. of, so in, in myself previously and in other people I've spoken to, when they've gone to quote unquote worldly therapists, if there's mm-hmm. still a part of the person who believes it's the truth or fears that it might be the truth, yeah. I've heard it from other people. I'll speak for myself. In in myself, it was a case of, like, I received a ton of help. In one case, I had, gosh, over over 150 hypnotherapy sessions and uh, ad- addressing various areas of life. So we deep dived. And I kept this area of myself and my life very under wraps. And she she knew me very well and knew bits of this and kind of surface bits, but I was very much protecting the reputation of the organization just in case it was right. I see. Right. So yeah. I, I kind of held that because I didn't want to be blood guilty. Whereas right. speaking with someone who has already been on the journey, they've already examined it and decided which side of the fence they're going to be on, I JW or not yeah. JW, it takes that fear mm-hmm. off the table. So it allows for a lot more right. openness and honesty without fear of putting you off because you've already arrived at that conclusion yourself. I'm already there. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but absolutely. Um, and and I, I think, um, not that this is exactly your point, but, to, but I, I think it's also worth mentioning that, you know, for me to be a good therapist, I can't um, have an agenda, you know? And... Um, that most of the people that do come to me with very little exception um, have, have already kind of made that decision themselves. Um, you know, that they're, but, but I imagine too, that that's going to free them up. Um, but it's also, it's worth knowing, you know, for anybody listening to sometimes occasionally I do get somebody who's kind of on the fence. They're a little like, I'm still a witness. They may be on their way to be mentally out, but physically in, but they're, they're still, and um, I think it's worth noting too that my job is to support somebody in, in reaching conclusions for themselves that make them happy. And it is totally feasible for somebody that maybe Jehovah's Witnesses really does fulfill them in some deep way. And you know, I think it's worth, worth noting too that I'm, I'm not somebody that's, um, while I have made my own decisions for myself, absolutely, and that's true. Uh, that's not necessarily my, my agenda. Um, when people decide that they want to break off and, and deprogram, yes, absolutely. Then I'm there to align my agenda with their agenda. But also it's, it's a safe place for people that are still exploring. And, it, and it, I guess what I'm saying is it works both ways is that they, they don't have to worry about affecting me, but also, you know, they, they don't yeah. have to worry that I'm going to be secretly trying to dismantle their beliefs. That's not really my job. Um, and that's not healthy. Um, people, if they're going to leave, they really need to be able to leave because they've come to that conclusion on their own. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have some little missionary mission of, of your own to try and deconvert people. It's, uh, it's facilitating the growth process. Um, yeah. Something I wanted to mention is that after leaving a big problem people face, and I've faced this myself is this sense of existential dread and nihilism and pointlessness. 
and mm. this because you've grown up i describe it as being like well you, if you're told every week multiple times the world's going to end there's no point doing anything other than knocking on doors because if you're doing something bad god's going to what wipe it away and if you're doing something good god's going to do it 10 times better anyway so what's mm-hmm. the point of doing anything else and that's mm-hmm. that's a repetitive um belief but it's very much like having i describe it as having a theocratic gun held to your head <laughs> yeah. and you know if someone stood there with a gun held to your head you're going to make different decisions to if you have all the time in the world and you're perfectly at peace and then there's no threat and biologically that's true you know when we're under threat fight or flight our brain works differently and so after leaving there's still that theocratic gun held there like in in the background that definitely in my case and in the case of hundreds of others i've spoken to like looking in the future is just like this big black cloud that's like nope don't look there don't plan don't even consider it because it's just too scary and unknown and Mm -hmm. um, scary and unknown being conflated as the same thing as well Um, so in terms of helping someone begin to not just be happy with where they are which is a huge step but once someone is becoming happy with where they are moving forward in life to a place that's in a direction that is healthy and happy and allows them to find some peace how would you uh, go about or what what would you have to say on that topic yeah yeah um you're, you're hitting all the right notes today um and it's interesting the way, the way you described this existential um approach um i have, I have a little, little little bit different way of looking at it but i think it's still it, it's oh, uh, still parallel um, there's this theocratic gun that you're talking about. Um, w- the way I would describe it is even when you take away the theocratic part of it, <laughs> there's still a gun. Meaning even when you take away the pressure of being under a Jehovah's Witness organization and that construct and that framework for understanding right and wrong and what you're supposed to do with your life, you are still left with the pressure that you must know what is right from wrong and what to do with your life. Yes. And, and that's part of the problem. Um, and, you know, what I notice in people that aren't born into these types of religions is life kind of goes one or one or two ways. Either you're born into a religion and they, your parents just go, this is your religion. And you're like, oh, okay, this is my religion. And it really doesn't constrain you in a whole lot of ways about how, how you can live your life. You just go, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Catholic. And some of that, sometimes that means they go on Sunday. Sometimes it means they go on Christmas and Easter or whatever. You know what I mean? But it's just kind of like a, you know, it's just like another data point about you. It's not, not really a thing. You got it. You, it gives you enough to like, yeah, I guess I have faith in God, blah, blah, blah. Um, or you get raised in a household that's either agnostic or atheist, and that sort of works the same way. And it's, there's either way, there's this kind of, it's not a big question. <laughs> you just sort of, that's just how it is. You may be born into a family that's like, I don't know. We, we don't know what, if there's a God or not. And that's okay. And we just make it normalized and that's okay. With Jehovah's Witnesses, everything is like, this is why you are here. This is what your purpose is as a human being. Every action you make, you know, is calculated to whether or not you are in line with this ultimate mission that you have been given from God. 
So it gives you this essential thing. And then when that's taken away, there's this assumption like, well, if that's not right, then I need to figure out the thing that's right. You know, yeah. and the truth of it is, or at least this is, I want to be careful because some of some, this is, there's always a piece of this is, this is the conclusion I've come to is that the truth for me is nobody, nobody really knows, <laughs> you know, we're all just figuring it out. We're all either just borrowing from an idea that existed, a religion or, an, or some other concept, or we're taking it upon ourselves to try to answer our own questions. And, and what that looks like for each client that I work with is different. Some people leave Jehovah's Witnesses and they find themselves drawn to another Christian religion. Occasionally they'll be drawn to Mormons or another high control religion. But a lot of times it's more, they'll be drawn to a Christian religion that is less constricting but still satisfies a piece of them, you know, and that's how they answer their question. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's some people that go the other way and they go, they could become hardcore atheists and they're definitively certain <laughs> that there is no God. And that's in a way becomes their religion. And that's, that's another thing. I'm more agnostic. I'm more, I, I don't know. And, and I guess I would say most often the way I help people work through this is learning to find a way to be comfortable in the unknown, mm. to, to encourage them to ask the questions when they come up, when this comes up and, and find little ways to, to build up the courage to explore other religions or other philosophies, ways of thinking, ways to answer this question. There's lots out there, there's little ways. Um, but also, especially in the meantime, let's just say until you discover all the secrets of the universe and of God, Let's just learn to be in the moment. Let's learn to breathe. Let's learn to accept that it is okay that you don't know all the answers. Let's learn to look at the fact that right and wrong is a very restricting concept. <laughs> exactly. And that's also part of what we do. And this is related to helping people find their selves, their true selves, the, the, what resonates with them is we do kind of a, a spiritual inventory. What are the areas that, what, where, what are the right and wrong things you do know so far? Is it, let's start with murdering somebody. How does that set with you? Does that feel right or wrong? Most people be like, it feels wrong. Okay, good. We got that one covered. No murdering, you know, and um, moving on from there, you know, lying. Um, most people would probably be in line with lying is generally not a good thing. However, also, I think most people would see, yeah, if, if somebody says, how do I look in this dress and they don't look good? It's okay to say, <laughs> you look sometimes, great. Sometimes, sometimes the right sometimes. answer is the, <laughs> the, the, the wrong one. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's, there, there's shades. I mean, that's just a rough example, but you know, each yeah. person has to figure out where they draw that line and, and there is some amount of subjectivity to it. So it's, again, it's, it's just learning to be comfortable with, there isn't a set instruction manual for life. And there is an inherent capacity for you to have to write your own instruction manual. And ideally, if you're healthy, keep revising that manual. Write down yeah. what you believe in, what's connected, what, what do you feel? What do you feel about God? What is, what is your connection? What, what does he or she or it feel like to you? Work, work on that. Talk to that God. If, if, if the feeling of, of wanting to be connected with God is important, stick with that. Talk to that God, pray to that God, pray to that God and ask for guidance that if I make the wrong decision, please help 
you know, correct my steps. Yeah. Um, and it ends up being a lifelong process. I'm sorry, good. No, I completely agree. And that, that the humility side is a huge piece. The humility to say, hey, I don't actually know. And that's okay for now. I, I don't need to arrive at an answer that can be arrived at within a paragraph in a book study. Uh, maybe it's a big question and maybe there's some exploring that needs to do. And it's that difference in the desire, the desire for truth, which in my opinion is a noble thing, versus the desire to be right. And mm -hmm. they, they kind of look similar at the, from a certain perspective, but there, there's a very different flavor to it. And generally it comes to my mind, what makes a difference is the humility to say, look, I'm not a hundred percent to the best of my knowledge. This is the truth, or this is the, what I've arrived at as a conclusion. But if you've got evidence that proves me wrong and it's important, feel free. And that to me is the desire for truth. Whereas the desire mm -hmm. to be right is very much, I have my point, I have what I believe, and I can berate you uh, and out-argue <laughs> you until you either come round or you leave me alone. Yeah. yeah. In terms of love versus fear and where we're coming from, it's kind of obvious which side of the fence those two things sit. Um, yeah. So nurturing that humility. And for me, that, what you said was dead on the nail with them. Um, you know, you, you, you're born and it's like, right, this is the right way to be. This is the truth about life, the universe and everything, your place in time and all of that. Like it was mapped out to then go into uncertainty was uh, it's terrifying, which is, I think, why people at least subconsciously cling on to the belief structure, because it's like from that amount of structure to the absolute chaos of not knowing is mm -hmm. terrifying and i consider myself quite an, an open-minded kind of person it's scary uh, so for, yeah for me finding an organizing principle or just like an organizing standard of sorts has been really helpful for me in the recovery so far which is that look if i fast forward to my deathbed whenever that is whether that's when i'm you know, 98 living in the Himalayas in a cave or something like grandiose like that, or if it's, uh, you know, younger or if it's at, in front of a fireball and, and uh, you know, I'm being damned and all of that. It's like, yeah. re regardless, of, regardless of, of how, can I be honest with myself and say, yeah, I, I've done the best I can and yeah. I've, I've been true to my conscience and I've been true to what, is right and wrong to the best of my perception because I know it's limited because I'm just in one little place and I've got one little brain compared to everything else. So it's like, well, it's limited in its capacity, but that capacity has a, a top threshold of what it's capable of. So am I trying my best and am I doing something that, that countermeasures the, the, suffering of life and in, in terms of purpose this will be a good point maybe to wrap up around is so leaving that point of having such a definite purpose to then trying to figure out well if that's not the purpose for me what is mm -hmm. surely there must be a point and so mm -hmm. in terms of tuning into that organizing principle for ourselves and finding a purpose that we can be 
comfortable with and joyous over what would you have to say around that i'm not going i'm not going very good at putting these into questions i'm just kind of throwing words at you and saying <laughs> tell me what you think uh you're being too hard on yourself this is perfect no this is great i love your ideas um i think um this sounds a little trite but sometimes there's certain things that are trite and they just work and are effective. And I think the biggest, the best thing, if I was going to sum it up is follow your joy. And if you don't know where your joy is, find it um, in terms of looking for purpose. Uh, that was my path. And, and look, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying I have all the answers figured out or that I don't sometimes have a little existential anxiety or questioning around that. Um, I'd be lying if I said that. However, um, I did follow what interested me and what interested me was psychology, uh, therapy, um, the ways in which that helped alleviate suffering in me and the idea that I'm able to do that for somebody else. I don't have it all figured out, but I do, I am so grateful that I found this thing that I do that I never get tired of. I'm, this conversation where, you know, we're wrapping it up. I could go for another two hours. I, I have so much, Same. I love connecting about this idea. I love my sessions. I look forward to them. Um, and even though the story has similarities, each person is different. And anyways, that's for me. Um, but also that doesn't, there's two things there I want to say for, for other people that are looking for this, that, that to be careful is like, one, it doesn't obviously doesn't have to be that path for them. They don't have to do something related to being an ex-Jehovah's Witness. I, I, that, that filled me up. I, I like that aspect. Um, but also some people get caught in this trap too, of, and it's similar to Jehovah's Witness thinking is, in order for me to be satisfied, I need to save the world. Yeah. I need to find some purpose that saves people and rescues people. And look, that is great if that's what you're called to do. Um, but be careful about not putting that as the focal point is I need to be in service to others. So for some people, it's going to be art. They're going to, their heart is going to be filled up and they're, they're never, they're going to do hours on end and be in flow when they're painting. Does that necessarily save lives? No, but it brings joy into this world. It bring it, it, it helps people. It brings beauty into the world. It brings, maybe if you're somebody who uses art to express yourself and some of the difficulties you've been through, it can make someone else feel less alone. Um, and, and, you know, that's just one example, but there's a million, maybe it's being a chef. You love making food, whatever, just, and if you don't know what that is, and a lot of times former Jehovah's Witnesses don't, they feel really lost. They come out and they're like, I don't know where to start. The best place to start is just try stuff. Push yourself to, to sign up for classes, you know, groups, activities, hobbies, the internet is amazing. Go on YouTube, just find something that interests you. And when it stops interesting you, being interesting to you, then move on, do something else. But if you keep that search up, you're inevitably going to find that thing that clicks. And I'm speaking from experience. I'm, I'm very short attention span. I have a new hobby every six months. Um, and I am so grateful that I've magically found one thing in life, being a therapist, that I don't get tired of. And, and, and people will find that too. And, and then it becomes a lot easier to build your life around those things that, that light you up when you find your purpose. Yeah, that's absolutely awesome. And you're totally right. Like talking about this, I could keep going for like another two hours, but I think we've, <laughs> I, th I think this is a really nice point to, to be able to kind of leave hanging in the air 
of okay in terms of where we're going in terms of finding slash creating your purpose or tuning into or whatever analogy you want to use that's a mm-hmm. great question to be pursuing i always think about like sometimes questions are more powerful than just having answers because then it's it's a, a filtering mechanism right so when you ask a great question like you know how can i how can i be happy or, or what's what am i meant to be doing or geez just like what's the best possible thing to do right now and that might just be sitting and relaxing on the beach or something but questions like that versus you know what what should i be scared of but or like you know what if all this bad stuff goes wrong it it Mm -hmm. decides our focus so asking those right questions around what's going to help us heal and move forward and continue along that path which uh, is absolutely phenomenal so thank you so much ryan this has been awesome dr ryan lee where can people it's find a pleasure you? i will i will add the links and everything in the podcast description but uh, let people know how they can find you and contact you yeah thank you um you can go to drryanlee.com uh, com. uh you can find lots of information there in terms of my services how i work um, there's also a link there where you can book a consultation. I do a free consultation. Um, feel free to take advantage of that if you're interested in. Um, a lot of people, I, I would say the majority of the people that actually have the free consultation do end up continuing to work with me. But even if they decide not to, um, people have reported that just having that consultation, being able to talk to somebody who understands where you're coming from without having to explain all this extra backstory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me, um, can be very helpful uh, to people. So feel free to take advantage of that. Um, and there's a place you can book it online. And I, I do all my work over the internet. Uh, so regardless of where you are, uh, if you can understand the language I'm speaking, then you're able to uh, connect with me. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Ryan. This has been awesome. Thanks so much, John. It's been great. Awesome. Take care. Thank you.